What's shaking, cats and kittens? Rob Lee here for this month's presenting sponsor, Night Owl Gallery. Night Owl Gallery is an intimate, artist-run exhibition space showcasing the original paintings and fine art prints of Beth Ann Wilson. Also, it features curated goods from local artists and craftsmen. You'll be sure to find one-of-a-kind gifts, handcrafted jewelry, home decor items, along with a few vintage treasures. Located in the rear of 248 South Conklin Street in Highlandtown, across from the Sally O's, Night Owl Gallery is a unique space that brings together Wilson's love of the arts, community, and culture. Additionally, Night Owl Gallery hosts an array of arts and crafts workshops throughout the year and participates in community events, many of which are free and open to the public. So in this ever-changing world, safety is their priority. So feel free to join them and hit them up online at www.nightowl.gallery. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art on MTR Podcast. I am your host, Rob Lee. And my next guest is Baltimore Spirits Company CEO, Max Lentz. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So booze, alcohol, all of the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> so describe your work. I mean, I, 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 I mean, what's the work of CEO? Describe your work and describe um, kind of that aha moment that got you into that space where you're like, let's go into business. You know, yeah, I'll uh, I'll do it backwards. Um, the aha moment. That's a. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure we had one exactly. I will say certainly for the distillery, um, there was something that kind of got us there. But before the distillery, really, ever since moving into the city. So I graduated from Goucher, moved into the city in 2008, and uh, actually wasn't didn't didn't really know I was going to stick around. But once I was in the city. I really fell in, fell in love with Baltimore hard. And after a full year there was really committed to living here long-term. And the big thing that had really drawn me in was the, the art scene, the music scene, the dance scene, that really brand new station North thing that was happening in 2008, 2009, a lot of my, uh, kind of co-grads all moved into the city. It was a weird year. I think, I think 2008 or 2009 was the first year Baltimore city gained population since 1968 and didn't lose population over a year. Wow. And kind of to my eye, it seemed like what had really happened was for the first time in a long time, the youth had stuck around when, when they could have left and they had kind of found a home in this creative arts scene that was really vibrant and captivating and that was something that that was really taken with after college. So spent a little time trying to play music, spent a little time supporting my friends, creative projects. You know, some of my friends founded dance companies in town. Some of my friends founded theater companies in town, but, but even after one year in Baltimore, what I was really driven to be was a, a creative in Baltimore. And when you're a creator, in a lot of ways, you're a business owner, you know, whether, whether or not you're, you're making money, I'll say even as a business owner, that doesn't mean you're making money. Uh, I know that very well. So, but if, if you're trying to put out something creative, it's a risk and there's no guarantee of return and you have to leverage a lot of emotional energy into it. And that's a lot like running a business. So when I've been in Baltimore, whether I was selling guitars at guitar center while trying to play music or walking dogs, cause I wanted to play more music and be around fewer people making bad noises on the guitar. So I had, you know, left guitar center, went back to guitar center. Um, I, I started in the service industry because at some point I decided 
you know, maybe what I wanted to do was open a venue, a place for people to other people to be creative, support the scene, have it be in the arts district. And so everything I did was in pursuit of something creative or entrepreneurial or something that was going to, you want to be when you're, when you love the creative scene, you've driven to be a creator, not just a consumer, you know, it's just part of the emotional aspect to it. So that was kind of always the thing. There wasn't an aha moment where I was like, I should go into business. There was an aha moment a long time ago that was just, I want to create stuff in Baltimore. I love this city. I love how, for some reason, the city takes, it seems like people with limited means here are able to pull off fantastic things in a way that if in you're, if you're in New York, that can be a lot harder. You kind of need support or money and the community is, uh, you know, obviously I'm not, don't want to make generalizations about another city, but it can be, it can be hard in other places for sure. But Baltimore has this like hold you up attitude, you know, when people are trying to do stuff, uh, if you've got a good community. So I felt that a lot. And, uh, eventually when I was in the service industry, my business partner and co-founder Ian, we started kicking around rather than a venue, like whether a distillery was even possible. And this was in like 2013 when there were zero distilleries in the state of Maryland at the time, Mm -hmm. this was not a response to micro distilling becoming a thing. This was more response to me having learned a lot about the history of distilling in Maryland, rye whiskey, things like that. Ian and I learned to homebrew together along with my other co-founder, oddly enough, uh, Eli a decade before that and, and had been brewing really ever since. So we had some, some creative juice already in that production space. And there was a, there was a, about a two year period where all the house parties in Charles village were fueled by Elon and I, and my uh, homebrew. And uh, those were, those were good days, but Eli had become a professional brewer. I was in service industry and had some distribution knowledge, product knowledge, some history knowledge when it came to distilling in Maryland. And when we started working on that business plan and I had already tried to write some business plans. And I was, you know, I was a young kid. I'm still kind of a young kid, but they had kind of fizzled out in the way that some projects do. But this one was kind of wildfire. It was the right people working on it, where the things that I'm not very good at doing, the other person loved doing, and the things that that person wasn't good at doing, I was good at doing. We all, it was just a good support structure. And before we knew it, there was a business plan that was done. So, you know, it's done more done than anything else I've ever done. And that was kind of like a stall point where it was like, well, what do we do with this thing? So I don't know. It all felt like kind of a joke to me when we started chopping it to banks because we didn't have a leg to stand on except for an idea and a lot of enthusiasm. But we were, you know, we were children and (laughs) trying trying to open a distillery in a state that had zero in a city that had none. We didn't know what we were doing. We weren't distillers. And uh, so, you know, we had we had been moonshining for for quite a bit. I don't want to say that, that for when we opened, we didn't know what we were doing. We had, we had been trying to cut our teeth a little bit, but, uh, walked into the M and branch in Hamden and the bank manager just was excited for us. And, uh, he is no longer with M and T, but I'll forever have a soft spot in my heart for Joe, because I honestly think that, uh, it was just getting one person excited who really wanted to see this project happen. Yeah. And he basically pushed it through and got alone. And when we walked out of the meeting, when essentially it was all but done. They were just like, yes, we like the numbers work, the SBA is on board and, and we're going to do it next meeting. We close, send us, you know, sign these things and, and let's rock and roll. It was surreal. We were, I went from thinking this whole thing was more or less a pipe dream in the same way that some of my earlier ideas maybe in hindsight were, but 
we all of a sudden we walked out of the bank and I was on the other side of the event horizon and there was no turning back. And it was just like, I am, I have to go spend more money than I've ever seen in my life right now and just go buy all this stuff and sign the lease. You know, we had like a tentative space and it was wild. It was all of a sudden it went from completely not real to super real. I had to tell my job that I was like, there's no turning back. I'm leaving. I can work till, till this date. And then I've just got a full time, try and build a distillery. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, there was a moment in the distillery where it all became real. Uh, but the kind of the aha moment where we wanted to be creatives happened when we were very young and, and Baltimore city did that to us. And then the, the moment where we're, Oh shit, we're in business was very much, un, you know, almost felt accidental, you know? So just coming together, different skill sets and making it work and expressing what is it? It came together to express the art of Baltimore and spirits. That's what I read. Yeah. 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 That's my copy. I did that. You know, I, <laughs> I'm trying to kind of capture that romance that, that we all felt when we were younger and trying to, trying to be musicians or writing stage shows. You know, one of my co-founders uh, was a, one of the founders of Baltimore rock opera society. So I was there for the first version of their first play, which was the, it was like a four hour opus that was only community actors and it sold out every night to 300 people it was BYOB. So it was just a, like a wild party in there and everyone was screaming and everyone's crying at the end of it. I mean, what a, what an emotional moment. So, but all that, I wanted to kind of capture that romance of being young and seeing all your people do amazing things and just feeling that drive to create. And because that's honestly what, what pushed us all to do this. I think you kind of, it was the, that kind of wide eyed youth thing. And I think we're still driven mostly by creativity and uh, the, just the excitement of putting out new and exciting things into this city is, is kind of where we're still at. That's, that's fantastic. Um, and you already answered my next question. So you're, you're, you're ahead of everything right now. So good on you. Uh, so the next question I'll, I'll hit then. Uh, so speak on, um, old world distillation and, uh, how does it make for a distinct product? Yeah, it's, uh, so in the, in the most literal sense, we're, we're a pot still distillery and distilling with pot stills is an old school thing to do. It's essentially how scotch is made. And when we were, when we were creating Baltimore spirits company and deciding on equipment and stuff, I went from everything from a still that you would control with an iPad from your bed and turn it on and look at the numbers and the pH readings and stuff to, to somewhere in between the kind of hybrid systems that almost all startup distilleries use. And at the end of the day, after, after going through everything, we kind of had a, a moment where we were just talking about the spirits that we really loved the most and the people that we thought were doing the best work. And, and if we were going to do something in Baltimore, who, what spirits did we love and what did they do? And the, when it came down to it, we really love single malts and scotches and some pot distilled bourbons, but there seemed to be a thing where we really liked the, the broad complexity achieved with this slow and inefficient style of distillation that is, was how the very first stuff in America would have been distilled. So the very first Maryland rise would have been pot still rise, but it's not very common to use that style of still anymore. So we do whiskey and we do gin and we do brandy. We take most of our production notes from scotch, but when we were, when we were choosing our equipment, 
And since there were no micro distilleries in Maryland or the surrounding area for us to go and look at and be like, oh, this is how you do it. You, this is how you get efficiency in small space and scale up yeah. and uh, make good use of money. We just didn't do any of that. And we were just like, Let, we're just going to build a tiny scotch distillery in Baltimore. So we found, we, we designed our own still kind of after the Lagavulin stills, which is, um, they're very short and very fat, which makes them very inefficient. So, but the kind of reward is, you know, mouthfeel and complexity and stuff that we were super into. And yeah, we built, we, we found a guy to build it who was out in, uh, Olympia, Washington, one guy. And if we had, if we had gotten one of the big still makers to build our first still, I think it would have cost maybe 150 grand, something like that. I mean, the size of our first loan, you know, like too much, we found <laughs> a guy through a forum who really spends more time building copper lamps and motorcycle parts. And he's a tattoo artist. Uh, but he started to try and build some stills for people as kind of an extra gig through the forums. And he built it for, uh, about a 10th of that. Wow. All in. So that was a big thing. I'm, I'm not really sure what we would have done if we hadn't found our guy, James. So, so we ended up with this, cool little copper pot still. And it wasn't without its problems. Uh, you know, early on, we had to kick the bottom out, weld a new bottom on. We've had plenty of leaks. It's, it's not a physically attractive still when compared to the, the kind of historic stills that these big still builders who have been around for hundreds of years build, but the quality of spirit was there and the quality of the, the kind of physical metal of the thing. And it functioned well enough to, to get us going. And we still, still run that thing. We have a second still now, but it's actually modeled after the first still because we're, you know, we found something we liked and it's really not like anything else anybody else has. So, uh, we stick with it. That, that, uh, that desire that, that pushed through those, those opportunities that just, it just kind of, things work out. That's what I'm hearing. Things have worked out and the enthusiasm and this desire to be creative is, has been that, that lead in that kind of driving factor for what's happening with you guys. We've been lucky. There have been a lot of moments where it almost didn't work out and um, we have managed to push forward and we've managed to grow, but it's always been cart in front of the horse for us. And that's just the way it kind of is. If you start up with, with limited means and you can't jump in with a big marketing plan and every dollar you spend has to go right back into the business. But there were, there were a lot of moments where we were not allowed to buy a new mop head, like $12 because we simply couldn't afford it. I mean, six month periods where we were, we would not buy a new mop because it was too large of an expense. And we certainly did things like skip paychecks. And I sold some personal items to pay rent for a little while, right at the beginning. I mean, we were into the rope for years and every now and then that kind of peeks its head around, you know, if things get slow for a little while. And, but we've managed to bootstrap this thing and keep it going for a while. And I will say that, you know, Baltimore has supported us and we feel the love and we've always operated with a, if you build it, they will come attitude because it's kind of all in. We don't really have a backup plan if, if uh, something doesn't really work, if our first product didn't, didn't move. And, it, and we've kind of always just towed that line and, and managed to not only tow the line, but but grow at the same time. So maybe, maybe one day we can uh, chill out a little bit with that and enjoy something for a minute, but we're not where we want to be yet. We've always wanted, this wasn't, we want to bring attention to Baltimore. We don't just want to give spirits to Baltimore. It, it's always been our intention to have this thing be a lot bigger than, than we started, which was basically 
I mean, we started our first distillery was literally in the valley next to the dump. That is the most literal way to describe it. It was next door to the dump. People would throw trash over the fence and it would roll down into our driveway. Like it was not glamorous at all. And our space now is better. But but at the end of the day, we want to we want to rule the world, man. And we want Baltimore to be known for some of the best spirits in the world because it should be. And it's a historic home for spirits. And so we're not we're not done. We'll, we're going to keep that card out in front of the horses for a little while longer uh, and just kind of push push as hard as we can. I like what I'm hearing. And it's, it's in the name. It's baked in. You know, Baltimore is the first word that's in the name of your business. Um, so definitely hearing that. Um, so so I got some Baltimore questions and I got uh, more questions about, you know, the biz, some question about you. Let's let's see. What we got in here. Let's see. What we got. Um, so culturally speaking, what do people get right about Baltimore and what do they get flat out wrong? You know, I'm not sure people get it right without visiting um, because I don't know. I'm a, I like nuance. I don't like to paint things in black and white. You know, I, it's easy to, it's easy to call people right and, and call people wrong and, and stuff and paint Baltimore one way. But the truth is, is that it's, everybody's right and wrong about it. And a lot of people who live in the city are right and wrong about it at the same time. It is the vibrant, youthful, creative energy, sizzling lightning on the street when you walk down it place that that I describe from when I was 24 yeah. and it's also the wire and it's also under armor and it's also like, like ravens and orioles you know bro town and it's it's all true right like it's yeah. every one of those things is true but it's it's the kind of nuance it's the relationship between the communities and how everything butts up against one another and, and creates the kind of tension that I think leads to a lot of the creative output of the city and the community engagement, because, you know, I grew up in Houston. Uh, and so that's where I was till I was about 20 and it's very different there. Things are so spread out. You don't know anything about what's happening on the other side of the city. And a lot of times you don't know what's happening in the next neighborhood over because that's 10 miles away. I mean, it's a long drive. I had, friends that were on my side of the city that took 20 minutes on the freeway to get around with no traffic. You know, it's, it's just a big place and things are far away and you understand your spot, but you don't understand the city as a whole. And Baltimore is not really like that. You, you can't isolate yourself to the good parts and you know, it's all, it's just, it's all there in front of you and you get to take it in as a big complex picture. And I think that drives people not only to be creative, but it drives people to, have opinions and be engaged in their communities and want to improve the city. And if they care enough to stay, then they probably care enough to, to give back in some kind of way and be engaged. And some people don't, some people just leave, you know, and, uh, sell a V, you know, you know, see you later, but, but I love Baltimore and, um, and it's not just, uh, it's not just kind of half of it. You know, I try and I try and love the whole thing and understand that it's all related I like, I like the way you started it off with, I like the whole answer, obviously, but the nuance thing, and that's not, it's not a thing that we do regularly anymore. You know, I believe in nuance as well. And, you know, it's like, eh, you sure? The, this the course? Comedy. Yeah. I, now I have a bag that says this, because I forgot this was one of the nicknames. So which Baltimore nickname do you prefer and why? Charm City or the greatest city in America? I like Charm City. Now, the reason that I'd say I like that better as a nickname is mostly because I'm not sure the greatest city in America is a real nickname. I love the benches. <laughs> yeah. I love the benches, but mostly because they're hilarious, you know, like 
the, what a, it's just such, it was such a bold PR move yes. to, to go for it. I love that they went all in on it. We have a little, a little bench made out of whiskey barrels that says Baltimore spirits company, the greatest spirits in America nice. as a homage in the distillery. So I love it. But charm city is a, that's a true nickname. You can't go to New York and say, where do you live? Oh, I live in the greatest city in America and have no one will know anything you're talking about. You know what I mean? Even if yes. they're from Maryland, nobody like, would get what? it. Even if they're from Baltimore, if they're across the country, they wouldn't even put it together that that's what you meant. So I think Charm City has real identity. Nobody can take that from us. And it's like, and, it, and it's true. And there's so much I lie in it. And I still, it still has a good juxtaposition. It's almost the same kind of like, it's not entirely clear that it's true unless you get it. You know, so I like that it's it's still got some some kind of uh, some some comical or uh, some something that's that's funny to even call Baltimore Charm City. You yeah, know, this, absolutely. Like, old aging Rust Belt like stricken city that we all adore. Yeah. Uh, so, but greatest city in America. I love that that we're just littered with these benches because I, I, that just cracks me up. I just think that's the best. I mean, I remember we used to joke about it in the early '90s about like uh, the city that reads and all of these like failed campaigns. Or I, I remember in the mid 2000s where it, it was like talk about gambling coming. You know that we now have obviously and. It was just like, yeah, Baltimore, get in on it. I was like, this is terrible. Who are pay who's paying these people? I was like, this is not good. But Charm City works. And to your, to your point, it's definitely an I identity thing or have you when, you know, people will use other things to say, like New Orleans. You know, when, when someone's like the Big Easy, you know what that is. That's the personality. And the yep. Big Apple for New York or what have you, it's that's the personality. You got to have a thing that makes sense. And it can't be a bunch of words either. The greatest city in America is too many words. Facts. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, so Baltimore is charm city. Cause all the benches say the greatest city in America, you know, like that's, that's the relationship. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. If you had the opportunity, what creative person, um, living or dead, um, would you want to have a drink with and why? And bonus, what would the drink be? Ooh, what would the drink be? So I, uh, you know, I actually, I, I read, I was going back through the email to make sure I at least had uh, considered some of this stuff and wasn't completely, left speechless for some of these questions. And I, I do have something, but obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of answers, you know, catch me in which creative mood, but specifically for a drink, I want someone who's going to be fun. So I want a known drinker, you know, I don't want to drink with Frank Zappa who didn't really drink, who's going to have a half a beer and tell me, tell me why politics suck. And, and that'll be that. Like I'm, I'm here to have fun. We're drinking. I want someone who's going to drink, maybe cause a scene, but like be the life of the party and make me laugh for sure. I want someone with some wit. So uh, I decided that Oscar Wilde would be a hell of a guy uh, to, to have a drink with because that dude is funny and super smart and and also, you know, and engaged. So it's kind of he gets he, he hits a lot of marks for me. And what drink would it be? I'm going, I think martinis, I think, I think I can get, you know, Oscar Wilde was kind of early or pre cocktail. So he was probably drinking a lot of beer, wine and, and just liquor. So we'll keep it on the strong side, but I can see, I can see Oscar Wilde and throwing back some martinis and, and we'll just go for it. That's, that's a great answer. That is a great answer. Cheers to you on that one. Uh, so I have two more questions here and, and, and this is, this has been a lot funner than I thought it was going to be. This has actually been <laughs> hilarious. Uh, I see. Um, what what projects are you working on or have you worked on that have like you just like I did that. I'm I'm, I'm really proud of that. 
You know, I have a sometimes I have a hard time liking the things we do. And sometimes it's just because by the time they're ready, it's so far behind schedule. And we're at such the end of the rope that I kind of just need it to work and need to move on to the next thing. And it's just grind, grind, grind. But I will say we're, we're opening the cocktail gallery. We, we kind of just opened it. So it's our new tasting room. We've been building it out since last year during the shutdown. It gave us an opportunity to, to get this big project done. And there's a lot of design elements and almost all of them were done in house um, with me and, and, some of the other kind of creative team and co-owners in Baltimore spirits have, have put a lot of effort into this thing. And I am shocked at how much I like the space. I just, I really love it in there. I think it's a good representation of who we are. It is, we're in the midst of getting our cocktail license for it. So right now we're just doing tastings, but soon we'll be doing cocktails at night, which is something we've always wanted to do. It was not legal for a while, got the law changed in 2019. And now we finally built out a space that that'll let us do it. So we'll be doing cocktails, which is great, but it's also, it's called the cocktail gallery and it's in the same building the distillery is in. It's our new tasting room. It is also an art gallery. So, you know, I like to talk about how our company is part of the creative scene in Baltimore and how it was inspired by the art scene. But this is a literal connection between Baltimore Spirits Company, the creators, and the art scene of Baltimore. So there's a whole wall dedicated to art. We're also launching a MICA grant along with it, where we'll be giving a cash graduation prize to a grad student, which is important. That, you know, we want to literally support artists. We, it's, so it's a space where they can show art. We can highlight local artists and traveling artists to a place for people to appreciate art. We've got a lot of the design elements were were done in conjunction with local artists. So our wallpaper was designed by a local artist, Allison Crowley. And we have our lighting installation was done by Greg St. Pierre, who's a light artist in town, uh, who used to do the stage shows for Animal Collective and Dan Deacon and has also done, he does, he did the, the big floating light display at Light City and he's done light installations in Europe. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing mind for light art. So our lighting in the space is a literal light sculpture that is a one of a kind piece designed for the space. So it's a, it's just got a lot of stuff going on. The original mural we had commissioned for the old distillery by the dump has been repurposed into the bar front. It's, it's really cool. We're really proud of it. And I'll be, I'm so excited to get people in there and finally be able to present our spirits in their most kind of creative uh, environment. So not only being surrounded by the art and stuff, but cocktails are a creative endeavor as well. I'm super enthusiastic about uh, Hannah Baker, a really wonderful bartender coming in to run our program and is incredibly creative, can only use our spirits. So there's that kind of necessity is the mother of invention thing going on where you can't just make a Manhattan with vermouth because we don't make vermouth. So <laughs> all of our drinks have to be kind of next, they have to be figured out from scratch in a lot of ways. So it kind of necessitates a lot of creativity. So we get to do creative drinks in a creative space and support creative people all at the same time. And I really love just the visuals of how the place came out. So it's gonna, gonna warm my heart when people, when I just see a packed house in there and everybody laughing and I can't hear the person next to me. And, you know, hopefully faces are coming back in 2021. You know, I get to see everyone's face and see people smiling and might even catch a hug or two. So it'll be awesome. Sounds great. That's, that's great. Um, um, that, that sounds, sounds like something I'll, I'll have to check out. Um, so the last question I have is a two part. I actually added something to this because I didn't like how well you were doing and I, I need to, <laughs> I need to throw a monkey wrench in there a little bit. Uh, so what is your most unusual talent and what other talent would you like to have? 
So a talent that you possess that's kind of, you know, a little, little less. And one that you're like, you know what? I envy that in other people. Some people are really good at math. I wish I was better at math. Or I wish I was a polyglot. What is that talent that you wish you had? And what is that one that's one that you have, but it's like, this is that's a little odd. All right. There's two sides of the same coin. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to, I'm going to give a glimpse into my, my less confident self here and as well as my confident self. So I'm not, <laughs> I don't have any particularly unusual talents that are weird for somebody to have, but I will say that I am about as intense of a karaoke person as has ever walked the earth. I have a Spotify list with all the songs that I have learned and can do. So I have something to reference and it is something like 140 songs long now. And it is everything from Neil Diamond to Tony Braxton and <laughs> everything between. And I will kill it. And I love it. And if I can't hit the notes, I'll just own it. And everyone will love it anyway. Like I am at home in front of a bar and I want to make people sing with me and I want to get up in people's face and I love it. I love singing karaoke. And that's the thing I missed most in the last 18 months. And like, and that's also frustrating because I know it's the last thing to come back. Cause that's like literally sharing a stick you spit on <laughs> yes. with strangers, you know? So like, I know, but I know it's coming and it's like, and I'm so ready. And then at the same time, I just like do not have a single ounce of that comfort uh, on the dance floor at all. <laughs> It's like, it's kind of the exact same thing. It's not even, nobody cares if you're a good dancer. They just care if you're having fun. You know, if you're having fun on the dance floor, good, bad, it doesn't matter. You look great. And like, you know, if I'm in like a tuxedo at a wedding with a good cover band and I'm a little tipsy, sometimes I get there. But for the most part, I just am just so uncomfortable in my own skin when I'm trying to dance and just put a microphone in my hand. I'll be on stage and I'll make everyone else dance and I'll be fine. But uh, I wish I envy, I envy dancers, man. I like moving my body. And I like, and I feel music and I'm a musician and I love to sing. So like, it's in there, you know, it's in my soul. Yeah. I like to do it. And I just, uh, it's such a weird, it's such a weird wall for me. So, uh, I'd say that's my, those are the things I, I love singing karaoke and I'm envy of people who basically do the exact same thing I, I do with karaoke on the dance floor and just go out and have a blast. Cause whenever I get into the zone, of course, it's such a memorable, wonderful euphoric feeling to get out there and dance a little bit and just have a blast. But it's a rare, it's a rare thing for me to get in that space. I don't know what it is. That's great. That's great. I, I usually get the, uh, the question. It's like, how do you do a podcast and you do as many as you do, but then you're shy. And I was like, eh, don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's the microphone. Man. Just give a, a microphone cures all problems. That's true. Very true. Uh, yeah. And kind of having that space. Like it's like, oh yeah, yeah. People are close. You're, you're getting all my stuff. Uh, so that's, that's all the questions I have, but here's that point of the uh, show that, uh, as we wrap up, I like to give the uh, guests an opportunity to shamelessly plug social media, website, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, we have a Twitter, but I don't use it, but please but go ahead and follow, um, is all at Bald Spirits Co. And it's all the normal stuff, you know, but, but really if you want to be tuned into new releases and we got a lot coming for the rest of the year, uh, either go to the website and sign up for the mailing list. I write them all. So there's not a lot of them because I just am too lazy to, to write two emails a week or something. So it's usually one a month or, or sometimes less than that. But whenever we got something coming out, I'll shoot you an email, Instagram. I'll also do it. So if you don't want to be on an email list and fill up your email, just follow on the Insta. I'll, I'll put a story out and I'll put a post when, when the big stuff happens. And that's about it. Come, come keep your ear to the ground on the, on the cocktail license 
you know, licensing in Baltimore city is unpredictable. So I wish I could commit to a date, but I can't, but I'm, you know, two to four weeks is probably what we're looking at. We're looking at July. So it's going to be a really fantastic place to have a drink. And I really care that people come see it. We're in the union collective. So if you know where union brewing is, we're in the same building. We're just on the other side, down the, uh, down the block a little bit. So same building, same parking lot, come find us, check out the cocktail gallery. And if you're listening to this from out of state, follow us, see what's up. The spirits are, the spirits are out there. You can buy a lot of our spirits in California, Washington state, Arizona, Nevada, Illinois, Louisiana. So we're starting to grow. We're starting to put our little footprint out there and, and get people to uh, come check out Baltimore. And you know, the world's opening up a little bit in Maryland seems to be in good shape, which I'm real happy about. So hopefully people start flying in and checking out the city again. So if you are listening remotely, please, we've got a great visitor experience. We're launching a brand new tour. That's really cool. All this stuff is coming out in the next two weeks. This is like a huge moment for BSC, the reopening. We're really reopening as a, with a lot of new stuff and we got a lot of stuff happening. So check us out. If you haven't, our spirits are amazing. We've won a billion awards, uh, give or take. Um, and that's it. It's a, uh, as much as I've talked about our inspiration and stuff today, the, the truth of the matter is at the same time, our distillers and tasting team and creative teams are, are really talented. And we only put stuff that we really believe deserves to be drunk out in the wild. It's high level, spirits making. So if you like gin or rye whiskey or some more of our eclectic stuff, we don't disappoint. So it's not just brand story with us. We we've always been a product first company. We really trying to build, build a legacy here. And we always figure figured at the end of the day, if micro distilling goes out of style or if people start drinking more wine and less spirits or whatever, the brands that survive are going to be the ones with the good product in the bottle. So I, I'm a true believer when it comes to that stuff. And when it really, when it really comes down to it, that's probably the most important thing about Baltimore spirits is the quality of the product in the bottle. So check it out. That is uh, that's it. That's all, all my plugging. Good plugging. Uh, so um, thank you. This has been fantastic. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for reaching out, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I used to do one of my weird creative projects. I used to do a live podcast that was about three and a half hours every Monday. Wow. Just trying to fill up dead space for three and a half hours. So I love, I love talking and it's always, a, it's always a blast to meet somebody and, and get some questions and chit chat a little bit. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so for, for CEO Max Lentz from the Baltimore Spirits Company, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art boo spirits, specifically spirits, good, tasty, winning a bunch, a billion, I believe a billion, a billion awards eh, here or there uh, around Baltimore. You just got to look for them.